The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Our guest this week is the Senior Editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes. He is also a celebrated author who has written four books, including the Jay-Z biography, Empire State of Mind. His latest book is A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. The book will be available on March 10th, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting zogreenberg.com. We are happy to welcome Zach O'Malley Greenberg on the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Zach. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure to have you on. I mean, you're, you're really hitting the marks for us, you know, artists being empowered, realizing their worth, and, and going after those big paydays, wanting equity over cash up front. We, we love that kind of stuff around here. So I want to dig right into your book. The book's called A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacks Silicon Valley. And it chronicles this emerging trend we're seeing of entertainment and sports superstars capitalizing on their fame to obtain stakes in thriving tech startups. Let me ask you, what interested you in writing about this phenomenon? Yeah, you know, it's been um, it's been one of these things that over the past decade at Forbes, I've just found myself following and and, you know you don't necessarily know that a trend is going to be a trend the first time you write about it um but uh you know after writing different versions of the same story a couple times you you start to kind of see some patterns and so for me this began with 50 cent investing in vitamin water or you know taking equity instead of cash for an endorsement effectively in the mid-aughts and then cashing out um, to the tune of about $100 million when Coca-Cola came in and bought the parent company. Uh, and, you know, other stars had dabbled here and there in the past. Um, but, you know, what 50 Cent did really turned a lot of people on to this idea, I think, in, in the entertainment community. Um, so subsequently, uh, I did a cover story on Justin Bieber in 2012, how he had started investing in Spotify and some other startups. And then Ashton Kutcher, who's kind of like the big kahuna of the celebrity investors in, in 2016, uh, did another cover on him for Forbes. And and he said that, in fact, 50 Cent was the one who inspired him. And um, he had just been doing this uh, some kind of uh, cash endorsement deal, at, you know, for a million bucks. And he saw 50 Cent walk away with 100 million. And he was like, you know, I really got to re- reevaluate my life <laughs> uh, and my business and start looking at things differently. And. And, uh, you know, I think that really helps kind of kick off the whole phenomenon. It is an unbelievable phenomenon. Your, your book talks about music, super, music superstars like Nas and Beyonce and Justin Bieber and Steve Aoki, who basically, I mean, it's just example after example of artists sort of realizing the value they have to a project and turning, in what is often many cases, a $0 investment as, as it was for 50 cent with vitamin water. And basically the only thing that they're, I mean, their capital is just, you know, lending their likeness and doing, you know, in, in 50 cents case, just a couple commercials and in 50 cents case, turning it into a $100 million exit with vitamin water when the company was sold to Coca-Cola. And I mean, I, I was surprised by that story because when I think of vitamin water and I think of 50 cent, 
it's not a, it's not an obvious connection point there as uh, you know, some of these investments are artists investing in the music industry but uh, sometimes it's artists realizing that they can create value in industries outside of music of all the different stories you covered what is sort of your favorite example of an artist getting into an industry that you wouldn't expect them to get into uh you know lending nothing more than their their fame and getting a huge exit in the process yeah you know i think um there are a lot of examples like that um, for Nas, in, especially in this book. So he was one of the, the uh, artists I talked to and has kind of quietly become, you know, in terms of number of investments, at least, uh, you know, right up there in, in the top five or so entertainers, you know, with Ashton Kutcher and so forth. But I think Ashton is doing it on a, on a bit of a bigger scale, but um you know, but Nas is in on everything from Dropbox to Lyft and, and such. And so, you know, there are some uh, kind of, you know, fun anecdotes in in the book that, that come about from talking to Nas and his manager and some of the stuff where, you know, I mean, Nas was never the guy who we thought, oh, well, you know, he, he's going to be the, he's going to be the one who cracks the startup code, right? It was always Jay-Z or Diddy um, or maybe Dr. Dre seemed to be more focused on the investing side of things. And Nas was always, you know, uh, music first. And you didn't even really do any endorsement deals. Uh, I mean, you know, one or two here and there, but it was just like music, music, music all the time. And what happened was he linked up with this guy, Anthony Sala, who was a, a young manager who appeared on our Forbes 30 under 30 list, actually. And, you know, at a time that Nas's career was really at a crossroads, um, you know, about a decade ago and he just gotten divorced and he was having some financial trouble. And Anthony said, you know, look, let's, let's do a couple endorsement deals. Let's get you, you know, looking at some of these startups and, and really, and really kind of start to leverage some of this credibility that you built over the course of your career. And, um, and, you know, and so then you see Nas investing in genius, for example, as a, a really natural one, um, you know, annotating song lyrics coming in and, becoming the, I think the first verified artist on the platform, really lending it some credibility, but, you know, kind of raising the value of the company by his involvement and thereby raising the value of his own equity stake. Um, you know, that's an example where Nas was it's maybe unsurprising because Nas, you know, he kind of lends himself to that sort of a thing. But, uh, you know, there are other examples. He invested in Ring, um, the uh, the uh, the, comp- the video doorbell company that got bought by Amazon for a billion dollars. He invested in Casper, the mattress company, and and that's one where you're like, well, what what does Nas know about mattresses? I mean, like he's <laughs> he's not a consumer goods expert, but um, his manager told me there was this great conversation where they're debating whether or not to invest in it, and his manager was like, nah, who cares? It's a mattress company, and and Nas was like, no, I. I I grew up in New York. The idea that you could get a mattress delivered to you in a box um, that, that, you know, kind of mushrooms out and, and, and it goes into your apartment. I mean, um, that's so much better than having to, you know, like wield it up the stairs in, in a, in a walk up New York apartment. Um, I think that's a great idea. And so they invested in it and it's, it's become this big hit. So, um, you know, I think, I think with Nas and some of these other folks, there is sort of like, uh, like a common sense, um, like instinctual aspect of some of these investments um, that, you know, I think some of the, the highfalutin venture capitalists like tend to ignore, um, you know, not just on, on mattresses and stuff like that, but just, 
you know, in terms of um, what is like, what's actually cool. What, what, what is a thing that people would, would really use? What's a product that they would use? Um, you know, I think there's a natural knack for recognizing that um, and, and, and kind of a, like a marketing savvy that maybe, you know, doesn't happen typically with, um, with most people in the space. Well, let me ask you more about that. Cause I was, as I was reading these stories, that was the thing that I kept coming back to that was, was really impressive to me is the unusual amount of prescience that a lot of these music superstars had in being able to see the future and see that some of these potential products like Casper or vitamin water were going to be home runs or, or unicorns as they're called in the startup space. What do you think it is about entertainers, you know, these, these, these pop culture icons that seem to make them more well-suited than we might think to being able to see these opportunities? I think pretty simply entertainers need to know what people want and how people feel. And um, those are kind of the, the main things that any really good marketer on a corporate level should be able to know. Um, but, you know, I think also musicians, uh, actors, athletes, they have this ability to not only know what people are feeling, but to make them feel something, to instill this kind of emotional experience. And, um, you know, when, when you kind of mingle those two things and, and put it together in this form, um, it, you know, the results can be, can be pretty unstoppable. I have to say this, as I was reading these stories, Zach, I started out by, as I was starting to read these, my, my first thoughts were, wow, this is really cool. What a cool phenomenon. And then by the time I was done reading some of these stories, all I could think was, what took this so long to happen? I mean, by the time I was reading, done reading these stories, all I could think was the value that entertainers like Nas and Beyonce, Steve Aoki and 50 Cent bring to any venture seems obvious to me. So why do you think it took the the VC world and the entertainment industry so long to decide these people need to be paid as shareholders, they need to be have a piece of the venture and we can't justify just making these people, you know, paid employees that just get, you know, the sponsorship dollars and that's it. Yeah, you know, it depends on how far back you want to go, honestly. But uh, the first couple chapters of A-List Angels dig into, you know, like early 20th century fame and the Hollywood studio system and how it really treated actors like uh, wage laborers, um, at best, you know, maybe skilled professionals. I mean, we were talking like Jimmy Cagney at one point uh, threatened his studio that he was going to go back to New York and go to medical school and quit acting. I mean, it was, you know, at that point, the biggest movie star in the world was getting paid about what the biggest doctor or, or the average doctor was getting paid, something like that. So those are credible threats. Um, as the compensation increased uh, throughout, you know, the middle of the century and, and into the 80s, when you started to have these big names like Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan, really scoring huge record deals, huge deals with their teams, um, you know, endorsement deals, stuff like that. The, the new, the new issue was not that stars weren't being compensated, but it, it was that they actually didn't want to be compensated in the sort of back end form for the most part, because if you think about it, if you're an indie musician, like you spend so much time early on in your career doing things on spec. Uh, and, and what you really want is to get to the point where you can be, getting advances and you know that you won't be spending a year recording an album 
out of your own pocket, right? You want, you want somebody to be um, helping uh, to finance that, that for you. Uh, and so, you know, I think initially when some of these conversations started to happen in, in the first dot-com bubble, which, you know, which they did, and you, you saw some, you know, little beginnings of this thing started to happen. William Shatner investing in Priceline uh, or getting paid in, in the form of uh, 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 stock, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, that was really a rarity because all these stars were like, no, give me my advance. You know, I don't like I'm, I've come too far to be doing something else on spec. But on spec is basically how things work in Silicon Valley. And and everybody understands that they'll be working for you know little or no pay at a startup, uh, with the goal of of some absurd jackpot at the at the end of the tunnel there. So it, it really wasn't until um, some of these big deals started happening with Fifty Cent and the like that the light bulb really went on in Hollywood. You know, as to like, oh, we we don't we're not we're not kind of getting screwed by, by doing something on spec. We're, we're actually betting on ourselves and potentially, you know, getting a much bigger chunk of the bigger, you know, slice of the pie down the line. And it is pretty incredible. Many of these artists that you talk about are making more money on these kind of spec deals than they make in the actual creation of art. And it's a, it's, it's a wild phenomenon. And obviously your book is going to talk about music superstars because these are the kind of folks that are going to get these sort of opportunities to find success through getting equity. But I'm curious, do you think there are lessons in your book about what these stories can teach indie artists who are the folks that listen to this podcast? Are there any lessons that early career musicians can learn from your book? Yeah, you know, I think so, 100%. I mean, you know, all the way from you know, these, these very basic ideas of, well, how do I not leave equity on the table? I mean, if you're an indie musician and you're at a day job and you are not contributing the amount to your 401k that your employer matches, you know, you're leaving equity on the table. Maybe they'll match up to 2% of your, of your paycheck that you put away towards something like that. Right. Very simple day-to-day things. You know, you're leaving equity on the table, you're leaving money on the table. Um, you know, all the way toward if you're the, the kind of any musician who, who's, you know, has, has gotten enough uh, of a, a head of steam to be out on your own and you don't have a day job anymore, um, you get back to that question of ownership, right? Owning your masters, owning your publishing. And it's kind of the same idea as an entrepreneur creating a startup, right? At some point, there's always this question of, do I, do I bootstrap it? Do I stay DIY, stay indie, or do I take money from uh, a venture capital firm? Do I take money from a publishing company or a record label? Um, you know, how much do I sell uh, of my of this thing that I've created um, in order to kind of make my life more comfortable in the short term? And um, you know, I think it's the answer is different for everybody, but but the you know the calculation is similar and when you look at some of the superstars, um, you know, somebody like Dr. Dre, you know, both in his music career and in his business career, he's always held on to ownership, uh, you know, really as, as much as he possibly can, thereby allowing him to profit massively from, you know, let's say, um, his own music, his own record label, or his own Beats by Dre, uh, headphone, uh, startup, you know, for which he got um, his his share of three a three billion dollar payday when 
when Apple came along. So if you're an indie artist, yeah, I mean, the longer you can stand to hold on to your assets, your publishing, your masters, the more leverage you'll have down the line and, and the bigger the payday can be once you, once you, you know, really truly break through. Our guest's book is A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. It will be available everywhere on March 10th. Our guest, Zach O'Malley-Greenberg, joining us and laying on some really great insight for us. Uh, Zach, this has been awesome. I very much enjoyed learning about these incredible stories. We always love hearing about artist empowerment around here, so you're definitely hitting the right notes for us. One last question before we let you go. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think really that that last bit is is kind of the moral of the story here. Um, if you're willing to kind of be flexible and hold off on getting that invest, uh, you know, holding hold off on getting that advance payment, um, you, you can really hang on to a lot of the ownership, a lot of the equity in yourself. And, um, you know, indie, indie artists have an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I think a unique opportunity to do that. And although it's a little different than getting a piece of somebody else's company in exchange for your time, uh, there is, there is a certain level of controlling your own destiny that you have. And when you know that everything you're doing, um, you know, all those long nights and working on weekends that you're putting in you know, it, it's ultimately something that you're going to see the benefit of by owning your own work. Um, you know, I think that's one of the greatest rewards you could possibly have. Amen to that. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting zogreenberg.com. Zach O'Malley Greenberg joining us this week. Be sure to check out his book, A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. It is available March 10th. Thank you so much for joining us this week, sir. Thanks for having me on. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast.